Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and Adam... Wee oui, wee! Do, oui. do, you know, do you know what today feels like? Uh, uh, it feels like the first time! <laughs> it feels like the very first time! <laughs> You're gonna wake up your children, Zach. They're not asleep yet. Uh, They're not we're talking now. about famous firsts. Uh, we're talking about the first appearance of a bunch of characters this week. Ah, oh, first appearances. Such a, a, a nice little uh, niche for the comic collecting community to overcharge for books. It's, it's just so nice. First isn't appearances. It, isn't it nice when they overcharge for books? that by any reasonable metric are not a character's first appearance, but yet somehow some of us are guilted into spending several dollars to reacquire those books because we made bad decisions when we were younger. Are you making fun of me? You're making fun of me. <laughs> I'm making I'm making fun of how Adam today or this week felt so guilty about selling his copy of Uncanny X-Men 265, the first appearance of Gambit, which is not Gambit's first appearance uh, by any conceivable means that's during an annual and days of future present uh that he reacquired it i did i i did pay uh some money for a 266 um which is part of this first arc that we're going to cover and uh let me just uh g- give a, a brief um what, what's this uh, advice column for my uh younger listeners out there is this it, is this adam's advice yes adam's advice uh, adam's advice <laughs> Adam's advice. Uh, yeah, if you've got a comic book collection, just hold on to it. You know, like you might be tempted to sell it for some reason. Don't. Just hang on to it. You know? you Adam, you say that. But I also just last week moved my entire collection of loose bound single issue. Some call them floppy comics. Floppy floppers. And it was very heavy. And I thought... Man, you know, do I really need every issue of Axis? Like, <laughs> no, you don't. Could I get rid of that? Is this is this sparking any joy in my life? I don't think it is. But oh man, um, yeah. I mean, mileage is going to vary. Just just keep the stuff you know. You well, you're not going to know if you miss it one day. But um, we're getting off track here. So our first famous first is the first appearance of uh everybody's favorite raging cajun um and this is uncanny x-men 265 to 267 and adam, uh, now you... on sale twice a month and adam do you know who we have to thank for that uh i don't who who do we have to thank for uh, requesting this glorious shadow king story well glorious is quite a word here um but <laughs> Uh, we have Will to thank for that. Will went over to patreon.com slash battle of the atom and he threw a couple of dollars our way and he said, guys, I just, I need you to talk about some first appearances. And we, we are. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted us to talk about the Gambit one and a couple others and we'll get to it. Uh, but yeah, Gambit doesn't even show up in this first, first one story here. This is uh, 265 to 267 of Uncanny. Like Adam said, it's written by Chris Claremont. Uh Bill Joska does the first issue's art. Mike Collins does the second. Jim Lee and Wills Portacio do the third. Uh, this is weird. <laughs> well, this, this is, is this is an adventure of uh, de-aged Storm. So yeah, this is post Siege Perilous during the time when Chris Claremont was like, "What if I just didn't write?" X-Men like I'll <laughs> right. write all the characters <laughs> but they'll all be doing their own weird stuff and that's I, what we get here I have to say this is strangely enough the the real era that sucked me into X-Men because 
I was by, I, I had these individual issues and I was like, is this really what X-Men is? Cause I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. And everybody's going off on their own adventures. Colossus is, you know, a painter in New York. I, I you know, it's so weird. So, um, this is the arc where it gets revealed that uh, Shadow King really wants to get Storm for, I guess, reasons. I, I never yeah. quite understood why. Well, no one really understands the Shadow King. Uh, Chris Claremont has some pretty big claims. And to be fair, Chris Claremont was planning to do some pretty big things with the Shadow King. And this was him starting that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this, the Shadow King has hounds like from Days of Future Past. Which never comes up again as a Shadow King thing, really. It's a it's a real interesting drop of imagery in there that you're just uh, because he takes over Val Cooper, um, right? Shadow King is inhabiting. Um, oh God, what is his name? The FBI, Jacob Reese. Jacob Reese, thank you. Uh, and and he's been like hunting like little kid Storm across the country, and he has basically like taken over this this family of yuppies and turned them into his hound slaves and it's weird man (laughs) yeah if you don't know when storm uh i guess storm didn't get forced through the siege perilous no storm was captured by nanny and the orphan maker right uh now now appearing in fine x-men comics every month <laughs> main characters by the way if you're reading hellions uh somehow nanny's good now uh not She's like great. morally good nanny's good to read yeah yeah but uh nanny's Storm... gonna murder mr sinister it does which appear is... that way she 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 asked him adam do you know what, do you know what nanny asked mr sinister <laughs> Wait, she, what? She, what did she Nanny say to him? Asked, I forget. Nanny asked Mr. Sinister uh how many how many cloned mutants he slaughtered for his experience. Oh, right, right, right. Uh and do you know why she wanted to know that number, Adam? Because those are the those are the um <laughs> Oh, she's like gonna take revenge for every single one of them, right? Yeah, she she said, Oh, Sinister, so th- those were like your kids? Huh, that's weird. <laughs> I just I just needed to know how many orphans I was going to make. <laughs> Which is very good for Nanny, who, if you don't know, is a robot egg suit. Yes, who spends most of the Hellions mission on her face because she fell over. <laughs> yeah, she has fallen and she can't get up. Uh, but Nanny and the Orphan Maker did capture Storm. Uh, Havoc thought he killed Storm, but that didn't happen. No. Uh, and they de-aged her into like a like eleven ish it's tricky though i mean depending on the artist because they're bad at drawing kids no one has a real idea of like how old storm is so from issue to issue her height her age it varies greatly listen she's either five or she's 15 and i cannot tell you which yeah it's weird um but in the midst of storm uh you know just kind of making her way downtown um, thieving around cairo georgia <laughs> no it's cairo illinois right cairo illinois not um, georgia mm. she um she gets attacked in this yuppie household by these these yuppie hounds and the shadow king and is rescued by none other than uh this gentleman who uh he's not quite gambit is he no uh when remy Labu uh appears in this comic book He's got most of Gambit's look. He's got the purple or the pink suit. He's got the big old duster. He's got the head sock. He's got the floppy hair. But his features are not like set. His face isn't right. He has weird green powers and he throws spikes. And a plate. He he throws a plate. plate. (laughs) <laughs> he's not really gambit yet uh in to be fair they figure it out pretty quick because by the last issue of this he at least throws one playing card and does use a broom like a bow staff <laughs> yeah which is uh, pretty good the the last issue uh gambit's first appearance is drawn by mike collins and uh from my understanding jim lee did the character design for um for gambit and you know 
there's actually some alternate designs of his costume that are floating around out there with like fishnets and stuff like that. It, it, they're pretty wild. Um, but you can tell that there's just a little bit of confusion from Claremont's script from Jim Lee's design to here's another artist doing a fill-in issue. Because when Jim Lee comes back on the last issue with, with Portacio, that's kind of a jam issue, um, it's resolved. Like the character really yeah. starts to become the gambit that we recognize. Yeah, he looks like Gambit then. Yeah. Like, it takes him an issue, but he gets there. This is just such a weird... It's a weird first appearance. Because it is this weird balance between the Shadow King going after Storm, Gambit rescuing her, because he was trying to rob the same house she was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very, very good meet cute for two thieves. Uh, and also, Nanny and Orphan Maker are going after Storm. And, and- it doesn't really congeal into, like a story very well well and and it's also just sort of open-ended like um the hounds are chasing the two of them and they basically just get away and that part's just given up on you know we 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 catch up with shadow king later as we get closer to uh the mirror island saga um and then they defeat nanny and orphan maker so but again that happens very quickly very quickly like a couple pages at most there's a weird there's a weird page turn that's like, and several weeks later they mm-hmm. do this thing, but oh no, Nanny and Orphan Maker caught up to him. And <laughs> I can understand that Claremont, after 15 years at this point, was a bit tired of going back to the same well. He was always trying to move the characters forward, and I get it. And some of the stories from this era do work. I'm not sure this one does one kid storm's bad i don't like kid storm it's it's strange to say the least um especially battling like these bondage villains <laughs> like you know what i mean it's it's, it's just... weird because kid storm is not as bad as she could be like kid storm could be horribly insufferably cute or thrown in the most inappropriate of circumstances and for the most part, they walk that very fine line where they don't. And she still 80% feels like Storm. But something's missing. And also, none of these artists can draw a child. Oh, no. Like, I'm just on a page where Portacio is drawing uh, Storm. And her eyes are, like, gigantic. And I get that. I, <laughs> I get the intention, you know, enlarged features on... on children but um it's interesting you know like depending on who's drawing her because we actually you know if you count portacio in the mix you've got four different artists drawing this character over the course of three pages and it's completely inconsistent uh from from issue to issue so uh i don't know i like part of me uh will will look back on this era fondly but it, Mm -hmm. it is a very messy introduction to a character who is definitely not fully baked needs to go back in the oven (laughs) gambit doesn't get good until x-men number four where he's playing basketball he's he's kind of good in extinction agenda you know like he pulls that spike out of his leg and and uh, he's he's still weird in extinction agenda is my problem with him he's not like all the way there because he hasn't interacted with anybody no he he doesn't he has to have rogue to like really be gambit and they're close in like mutant genesis because there's that part where he's fighting wolverine in the danger room we go bang you did (laughs) and that's good and they're like okay we're getting gambit now right and they finally get it with like the brood stuff and omega red stuff but yeah it takes it takes a hot minute for gambit to really get going but i'm glad he's i'm glad he's going now because he's our good little trash cajun yeah I, and I also do appreciate the third issue here because, like, there was this era where you got a couple of issues where it was like, all right, well, who's who's even drawing this? You know, like, you could pick apart the issue and go, okay, well, this is clearly Wills. This is clearly Jim. The, maybe, the, maybe they're inking over each other. Maybe this is more of a Scott Williams page. Like, I, I kind of enjoy that just from an artistic perspective. But overall, I agree that it's it's quite messy. So... I think we should put this on our big old list. Are you talking about our big list of 417 bespoke X-Men comics ranked from best to worst? That's with the our one. number one story being 
the House of X and the Powers of Ten. Uh, our number 100 story being the X-Men and X-Factor parts of Inferno. The 200th story being Old Man Logan, Glob Loves Man Kills. Uh, the 300th story being... I've got to find this one. Ultimate X-Men, The Tempest, which uh, that has Charles Xavier's greatest enemy in it. Do you know what, do you know what Charles Xavier's greatest enemy is? Stairs! It's a terrible joke. It's really, not. It's really mean. <laughs> it's horrible that gangster Mr. Sinister does. Uh, 400 is X-Factor Multiple Births. Uh, and f- four seventeen is the Draco. Oh, this is better than that. Where do we have? Where do we have that uh, story where all of the uh, X Men go out to space, and then also Rogue does some stuff with the Savage Land and Magneto? Because this is worse than that. Uh, that would be the stuff around X Men two seventy five. Oh, that's at one thirty-seven. Yeah, this is way below that. No, 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 no. This is much worse than that. It's it's because this is worse than Glob loves man kills. I would agree. Um, is this okay? No, this is. So I was looking at three hundred. At three hundred one is X Force twenty nine and thirty. Adam X the extremist back and things have never been deadlier. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like we're in the right spot. I would say that the Adam X intro is is a little bit more consistent with the character. I mean, you you know who Adam X is <laughs> when he's dropped into the mix. Yeah, I think this, this is, is this may edge out the uh, the Rogue and Iceman arc though for me. I that that we have right below that. Because mm. I'm looking, I'm looking at that. For me, I think we're in the right category. I would probably rather read this than Operation Zero Tolerance again at 307. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that middle chunk, like the stuff that's right between those two, we've got Storm Volume 2, Daydreamers, Iceman, Thawing Out, Extraordinary X-Men 1 through 5. I don't know. I'd probably read this more than Extraordinary. Uh I like I like the Rogue and Iceman thing better. That story at least has something to say. Okay. Is it better or worse than Storm Volume 2? At 303. Which one's Storm Volume 2? <laughs> Is that the one where she's in Wakanda and Black Panther has to save her life? Yes. Oh, that one... Yeah, we're going to put that above that. Okay, so this is our new 303. I didn't like that story at all. And I, I, my gut tells me that I liked Iceman better than that, but my gut's wrong half the time. So who knows? This is 303 then. Perfect. Uh, you know, I like Gambit. We should just keep talking about Gambit, but we have to do okay. first appearances. So what should we do? Uh, we should talk about Uncanny X-Men, uh, the first appearance of Maggot slash the trial of Gambit. Uh, <laughs> I love Maggot. I have framed Maggot art right really? there. Really? Shocking. Shocking all of our listeners. I, I purchased it from Joshua Kassara. It's Maggot and Jean at the uh, at the Green Lagoon having, having a nice drink. Uh, and I do cherish it. I look at it every day because um, it's good art and I care about Maggot so much. Much like Gambit, Maggot takes a second to get cooked. I would agree. Uh, his art is introduced by uh, Joe Mad, and then also gets tossed off to Chris Pichalo, um later in the arc and then back to Joe Mad. Um, he's pretty gigantic when we first see him um, rescuing a woman from a giant robot gorilla. <laughs> yeah. So one, one note for our listeners, we're splitting this. Uh, what we're calling this arc is, uh, Uncanny X-Men 345, 347, 348, 349, 350, uh, because 346 is technically uh, a completely unrelated story about Operation Zero Tolerance. Right. It's Marrow and Spider-Man during Yeah, OZT. none of none of the none of the characters show up here, so right. I'm fine with jumping it. I don't know I I'm going to pretend that we covered it in our Operation Zero Tolerance episode. I'm not 100% sure we did. Mm, 
I don't know that we did, but uh, I don't. Know I don't know that we're ever going to read it. That's fine. It's fine. Um, it's Heck, got, someone it's, pay us two dollars. We'll read that one, but we're skipping it for now. It's got Joe Mad Art, uh, so if you're into that, and um, <laughs> this is directly after uh, they've gone into space and uh, saved the Shi'ar from the Phalanx. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it falls out of that. So those these issues, by the way, uh, Scott Lobdell and Ben Rob do the first issue uh, with Joe Mad and Moven Ruby doing art on it. Uh, 347 is written by Lobdell with Joe Mad. Uh, 48, like you said, is uh, what's his, or that's Joe Mad again, but 49 is Chris Pashalo. Uh And then uh, 350, Steve Seagal starts writing it. And then Joe Mad and Andy Smith uh, do the pencils here. Uh, because Scott Lobdell uh, was no longer working with the X-Men at this point. Hmm. Very hmm. abruptly. Hmm. Uh, which is a wild place to depart. I mean, given the... Listen, uh... <laughs> it, was, it was about time. Yeah, yeah. So this is a very, very bizarre set of issues where we have Maggot... Um, chasing after joseph for unknown reasons we, joseph the the amnesiac magneto we assume right we assume and we find out slightly differently by the end of this arc <laughs> that is that is uh correct um in a very very weird look over there kind of way um <laughs> but maggot does manage to um you know kind of do a little bit of hunting in the background before he has an all-out brawl with psylocke and uh angel yeah these are this is psylocke and angel right out of the crimson dawn story where psylocke gets her shadow ninja powers yeah yeah so they get they um they end up at the trial of gambit as well after dipping into one of those shadows strangely oh enough. yeah because because the spaceship everyone's in crash lands and they don't know where they're at and it turns out it's the savage land and also bishop and warbird have disappeared into the ether not to be seen for bishop doesn't like actually show back up to the x-men for like four years well he's <laughs> he he's messed up from that crash and Deathbird is kind of nursing him back to health he is he does not look very happy uh even though he was flirting with Deathbird prior to the accident yeah uh they think they're on an alien planet uh but then gambit finds his old old bounty hunter friends spat and grovel who are characters that joe mad designed because he said oh, you guys aren't going to make a aren't going to make action figures out of these guys and then they did um <laughs> they sure did <laughs> uh, uh spat is a woman who ages backwards she has benjamin button's disease Yes, she is. That Gambit gave her. She's like Gambit a... gave her Benjamin Button's disease. <laughs> she's not happy with Gambit, and Grovel's kind I of like a. I would not either. A she's giant... at the tail end of Benjamin Button disease. Yeah, yeah, and and Grovel is just like kind of a big old frog-looking dinosaur thing. Yeah. Uh. But they get found by Nanny, who's magneto's robot that once fed the x-men baby food right not the same nanny as our egg friend from the previous story this is a different nanny though man if i was jeff johns if i was jeff johns <laughs> i know where this is going go ahead i would definitely write a comic <laughs> where nanny's armor was actually built from magneto's old robot nanny <laughs> i it thought be, you were gonna would... say three nannies <laughs> <laughs> like there's a third nanny <laughs> adam that's a good idea and we i'm gonna edit this part out because we need to copyright that real quick i'm gonna email jordan and just have it say three nannies do you want to know more you can't pitch it to him you know that <laughs> he's the editor of x-men i'll tell him jordan i've got a pitch you have to hear but i'm not going to send it to you unsolicited all i'm going to say is the words three, three nannies. nannies oh my god um yes yeah, so this okay is... we're back we're back we're back we're not at okay uh anyway yeah so nanny yeah this is one of the the two nannies um and uh they get they all get captured and chained to the wall um rogue is experiencing gambit's uh hidden past 
um, from after when she they kissed him. Yeah, so we forgot they bone. Yeah, it's weird. Like that, Nanny has depowered them, and Gambit will not tell Rogue what the deal is, um, and yet they still hook up. Even though he they're... does say, "So I I know that I'm keeping a deep dark secret from you, and that you're very <laughs> angry about that. But also, I mean, you wanna." <laughs> And they do in between comics, uh, in between issues. It's not even sexy. It's a weird. It's a weird thing to say. Oh, and they've definitely now had the sex. Well, it's pretty. It's made very uh, clear in the in issue three fifty that they have. Um, but uh, it's weird, right? I mean, especially given that all of them should be chained in pretty close proximity to each other. I don't know how they like. Listen, little... do you think that's going to stop Raymond Lebo? <laughs> Well, uh, I do know one thing that is trying to stop Remy Labou, uh, and that would be Eric the Red. Adam, as we all know, Eric the Red is never actually Eric the Red, even though, as the X-Men say that line, they need to recall back that there was a real Eric the Red who was, like, important to the Phoenix stuff. So maybe they were wrong about everyone just wearing this costume. Sure is confusing. Uh, And this does turn into uh, the trial of Gambit. And this is where we finally, after many, many years of, um, of pushing it off, we finally get the grand reveal that Gambit was part of the Marauders, hired by Sinister to lead the Marauders to the Mutant Massacre. So there's an interesting thing about that. Where they want Gambit to have done a bad thing, but they also write in just enough plausible deniability that Gambit uh, wouldn't have been, like, irredeemable. Like, he doesn't kill anyone. He didn't know that these people covered in guns were going to murder all of these guys. He also Also, this doesn't line up with Mutant Massacre, but whatever. No, it's confusing. He also does save uh, an infant... Um, or a small child version of Marrow. Um, yeah, he saved Sarah. So we we do get these sort of redeeming qualities here. But man, oh, macaroni! Uh, when when you read this, was this you know when this reveal came about? Were you aware of it before you read it, or was this like a surprise as you were reading it? Adam, I grew up on the DK X Men Ultimate Encyclopedia. So you knew. So yes, you knew. I. I knew that Gambit had a deep, dark secret, and his secret was he actually was working for Mr. Sinister uh, and the Marauders at one point to lead, but explicitly not kill, any Morlocks. Sure. I mean, it is it is still the fact that he led them there to slaughter them. I mean, uh, it's, there's not, a, there's... it's not that they couldn't have done that on their own. Um, given because up until 1997 they had <laughs> right it's a very strange retcon they followed beautiful dreamer and they were like oh yeah we're gonna murder you right and uh so anyway gambit does sort of get off scot-free because rogue takes it to eric the red um who turns out not to be eric the red surprise surprise turns out it's to magneto be magneto it's magneto for no actual reason. There is no planning involved in this. It's dumb and bad. It doesn't make any sense why Magneto would do these things to sow discontent among the X-Men. It really doesn't make much sense. Um, and especially given the long, long story of Joseph, um, you would have... And and even all this stuff with Maggot coming to uh, try and hunt Joseph down, like you would really hope that this would pay off somehow and it just deflates that whole buildup. It really does. To be fair, they just go with Maggot being like, oh, mm, I've actually met the real Magneto now. Uh, so obviously this guy's not it, but I'm not going to tell him because Magneto, my good friend, did ask me. Uh, I, hey, look, despite how all of the... Um, <laughs> how much this is like kind of goofy and how much it's, it's, it's a really odd fitting um, ill fitting retcon. I still think I enjoy these issues quite a bit. Joe Mads art is terrific. Um, If you're, if you're a fan of this era, you probably look back on it quite fondly. You know, there is something very uh, cartoony about Joe Mads work that, that really, 
I don't know. It it just makes me enjoy the storyline, regardless of how silly it is. I think my problem is I don't like Joe Mad as an artist too much. He's just he he's never hit with me. Uh and that's a that's a me problem, not a Joseph Madiera problem. He has his own his own problems. Most of them are JRPG related. Uh <laughs> but look, dude's made a dude's made a career about it, so I ain't yeah. I ain't, I ain't got nothing to like actually dog on him about. Good for him. Following his dream, doing what he loves. But I gotta ask, because you're such a maggot fan, like th- this must have sparked something in you as you started reading it, right? I mean, like no, because here's the thing: maggot, much like Gambit, isn't maggot in these yet. He's got the slugs, uh, but in this, maggot is twenty foot tall, jacked as all get out, and Australian. Yeah. And that's just the maggot the maggot I care about comes from a very specific time. And that very specific time are the issues of X-Men uh where he's a good boy. And he's a he's a small small boy who likes to pretend that he's got game but is really scared about everything and only turns into a giant blue hulk monster after his maggots have eaten so much. Uh, and gone, gone back into his body to give him extra energy where he hulks out. We, yo, I assume if you're listening to an X Men podcast, that's not even the most popular one, uh, <laughs> or the one that explicitly explains things to you, uh, that you're quite aware about Maggot and how his power is that he has two slugs for stomachs, and those slugs can eat through anything. Yeah, maybe we're just expecting that everybody knows that. Um, but it's I've got to assume listen, if someone's putting up with me on a <laughs> weekly basis. This arc is They figured not, out Maggot. This arc is not explicit about that though. We know that they're sort of his attack dogs, but it's you know They're kind of like robots in this arc. Yeah, right. And they get They do have like some mechanical stuff to them. And they get absorbed back into him, um, but it's off panel and which it usually is, but you, we really don't have a good idea of, of what Eni and Mini are all about. Um, so anyway, I enjoy this quite a bit. Um, I think I enjoy this more than the uh, the Shi'ar arc that, that precedes it. I mean, I, the art is consistent for the most part. Um, it's, it's kind of this fun Savage Land adventure, and it's goofy, but it brings me back to the 90s in a very good way well where is where is that savage land adventure because that that may change i I may be able to agree with you because i also don't like joe mad in that or not the savage land the shiar adventure because i also don't like joe mad in that one <laughs> I, I think well, he's also bad I, there. I think you liked the uh the the, the cannonball um i like one fight. issue of that yeah. and i also like I also like one issue of this from an art standpoint, and that's the good one where Chris Pachalo draws it. It's so weird to to hear that though, because like they have such similar inspirations, very clearly. Like they have similar inspirations, but they go in a different way. Where Joe Mad is like cleaner, uh, cleaner lines with looser interpretations of characters like his characters are a lot more flexible and like jumping at you at all times but Chalo's is a lot dirtier and a lot like a bit more rigid in ex- mm. than joe mad's influence i don't know i yeah, think they look different yeah you're not wrong i mean they, they are different i just think like they're in the same kind of like universe um and it, it, it's weird because like this is that part of uh, Chris Bocciolo's career where like he's really starting to lean into the anime influences like you, mm-hmm. you definitely see it in the in his uh, Psylocke you know during those fight sequences like the head the eyes the body's a little bit smaller anyway this is when this is right after he did his return to generation x where it was it was too far everybody's a little That's- too tiny <laughs> uh that's 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 chris Pichello's chibi period <laughs> yeah um, uh, but that's at 236 uh i think I like, we're in the right spot 
I like this better than. You like this better than Sabretooth in charge where Omega Red gets a tiger? Where do we have that at? Right below it. It's yeah. 237. Absolutely. This is fun. This is Omega fun Red X-Men. G- Come on, man. This has like this has some really cool parts to it. Like Does it? Yeah. What's good about this? What's good on this one? Because I don't know. the space stuff's bad and the trial's bad, and them waiting for the trial for three issues is also bad. I don't know. If they can feel like if you're I think Gambit, you just like Joe Mad. I think the art is great, and I think that if you're a Gambit Rogue fan, like this is great. This is like them confronting all of their their conflicts that just stem from a single kiss, and then they still end up consummating their relationship. It's it's and I then she leaves him in antarctica and says yeah screw you dude yeah reasonable you can't be redeemed what villain could ever be redeemed by the x-men dun 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 here's what i'm gonna say at 222 we have uncanny x-men 300 i like this better this than that my ceiling adam my ceiling is 233 colossus god's country really yes but above that, what happened to Kitty? Better. Exi- or the ex- Jeff Parker Exiles, better. Charm School, better. Happenings in... Va- hmm. I was going to say, there's an X-Factor arc there that is not as good. And Truth or Death is not as good either. There's some I weird, like Truth. There's some weird ranking going on here. We got a weird middle we section got, of the list. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to put it above Truth or Death. I, I can't. I can't put it above truth or death. Not that I love truth or death, but I really disliked this story. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize. You like I did so not strongly. enjoy this. Okay. Then let here's, you know, I'm a big advocate for Colossus God's country. And I am looking at some of these other stories like special edition X-Men backup. Yeah. Special edition X-Men is, backup's is, pretty good. It's pretty good. Right. Um, so let's, let's use God's country as the ceiling. I can deal with that. Cause you know, I like that story quite a bit. And this will be our new 234. I'm fine with that. Great. I think Rick Leonardi does uh, some of the same tricks that uh, Joe Mad does, but better. But I also don't like some of Joe Mad's influences, and that's a me problem, not a him problem. Uh, I think both of us are going to have some problems with this last story. Oh, yeah. The last one we're doing is X-Men 28. It's the first appearance of Banshee. Um, Talk about not fully formed yet. <laughs> Where's so my this one, where's my spy this is, guy from Generation X? What is this horrific racist caricature of an Irishman? This is a Roy the Boy in Werner Roth uh, original. Uh, Roy Thomas, uh, Dick Ayers does the uh, inks on this one. Uh, it's the it's listed as the start of the Factor Three story arc, which is kind of just a loose thing that happens uh, during this chunk of. Uh, the Silver Age, uh, Jean Grey's at college, uh, and she's dating Ted Roberts, mm-hmm. and they haven't really replaced her because she still does all the X-Men things. She just doesn't live at the school. <laughs> right. Uh, but also Calvin Rankin, the mimic, is here, and he thinks he should be team leader. Well, he thinks he's the best of the X-Men, even though he realizes to- in this issue that if he gets far enough away from the X-Men, he can't do anything. <laughs> to be fair, he's equally as competent as all five X-Men as long as he's within, like, a mile of them. Yeah. He stays in that radius. He's in good shape. Yeah, He's no, better he's, than the... He's... Silver Age X-Men suck, actually, at things. <laughs> Have you... X-Men editor Jordan D. White has been reading all of this recently and has been giving all of the Silver Age issues an efficacy report. Just how good are the X-Men at being superheroes? And the answer is always pretty bad oh they're terrible dang they're not great no they are bad um this issue features uh what looks to be a supervillain version of banshee and i just want to take a second um there's a really great twitter account called claremont run at claremont run um back in july they they pointed this out which i think is really interesting um that this depiction is actually based in some older um british propaganda of the irish uh his top lip is something called a simian shelf a protrusion around the mouth that was typically used to uh make cartoon representations of the irish 
and it's wild that it appears in this issue you know what i mean we're talking about a leftover from uh the victorian era and and here it is um in 60s x-men comics um check that twitter account out by the way it's great but this version of banshee is so so different than what we're used to banshee being yeah um he i don't know enough about the mistreatment of the irish uh to say what specifically they did but if you look at a picture of banshee and someone told you oh yeah that's a racist caricature you'd say i see it yeah yeah um it's not oh no i'm seeing old british propaganda now this is bad oh yeah yeah it's it's really based in that imagery and it's it's not great um banshee is actually being mind controlled by um what the cover promises is going to be a a really terrifying villain the ogre um who's basically a guy in a purple jumpsuit um the ogre sucks i honestly (laughs) forgot that he's the real villain of this (laughs) and uh they defeat the ogre and the banshee is is basically like hey i can take my headband off now and not be mind controlled i'm a good guy now which is nice. I like I like Banshee as a whole. I don't think Banshee as a character has gotten the opportunities that he has deserved ever since Generation X. Yeah, Banshee's a fascinating character given his history. Um, you know, I, I feel like they've played very fast and loose with his design and his age over the years. You know, he's been presented in the all new all different era is sort of being an aging superhero who's then depowered well, he's older than the young adults and teenagers which means banshee's like 40 <laughs> right right like he's... banshee banshee's old enough to like have experience on his job and probably move up into a leadership position but you wouldn't call him like a veteran no uh but, but here, really, I mean, he does have the basics of the costume design down, um, and he can make supersonic squeals. That's that's about where the similarities end. So there's not a lot of content here to recommend. No, there's not a lot. They get into a fight, and then they stop. And Mimic sucks. He's mean. I don't like him. Mm-hmm. He's actually, he's horrible this entire run. Like, Mimic's the first person to join the X-Men after the 05. And I do not care for it. No, he's bad. He's bad. Um, They do immediately have him fight the super adaptoid, which is like a very good piece of like meta. I mean, we know. (laughs) It's like, get get the super scroll in that issue. And then it's like, yeah, hey guys, this is all. Yes, we've done it three times. We know. It's fine. Um, but I, I'm thinking back to, uh, an, another introduction, which is an X-Men three beware of the blob, which was far more entertaining. At least that one had zoo animals in it. You know, that Banshee was originally supposed to be a lady. Uh, Oh really? That would make sense. I mean, it's sort of the siren imagery, you know, I mean, a ban, a Banshee is a female character in folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but someone in editorial, uh, said no it has to be a guy hmm. and i'm not going to say anything except for there was really only one editor of marvel comics at the time uh and listen his name sounds like stanley <laughs> you really it's not really stanley that well <laughs> but it sounds like stanley <laughs> you listeners will be able to figure that out just just take a couple minutes with that one if you know you'll know <laughs> So uh, I'm anyway, all... we got we got Lady Banshee later, uh, and Thank she's God actually better. That. Thank God for that. Have you okay? Can we take one quick tangent yeah. about uh, Siren, please? Uh, the Morrigan, aka Banshee. Um, they've started drawing Siren's powers as her screaming, but the screams are actually coming like are the words that she's screaming, but it's being designed as if it's like behind her. Mm-hmm. And that's not how screams work, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear a comic and it looks dope. <laughs> yeah. Pepe pulls that trick uh, in creation and then we see it again in X Factor 4. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Gomez does it there. I hope. I hope that's just like 
the signature for <laughs> Teresa now because that rules. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, all right, I'm on. I'm all the way down at three fifty nine. I think X Men Three: Beware the Blob is better than this. It is. We were trying to think about good blob stories earlier, and that's rough that that one's in the top half for sure of good blob stories. <laughs> we're gonna figure um, that out. Uh, what what else do we have in Silver Age? Uh, Let's see. Uh, is this better than X Factor one through six? No, it's not. Is it, man? Silver Age is bad. I mean, this is a particularly like dull issue, and it's it's, it's dull, and then it's weirdly racist. Yeah, like I I understand that anti Irish set sentiment was a a going concern until like a violent going concern until like the nineties. Uh, but that's not, it's, it's not been a concern in America's in like my lifetime or my parents' lifetime or most of my grandparents' lifetime. So it's very, there's a weird like cognitive dissonance to now realizing that that was a very racist depiction of Banshee. Yeah, it's it's just that's throwing me off. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, I don't. Let's see. Now, I'm, is it? Yeah, go ahead. Is it as boring and bad as the Warlock Wakes at four oh five? The Warlock Wakes had that really cool moped with wings, <laughs> so I might give it the edge. This has this. If we're saying has one cool thing. From the neck down, Banshee's costume and design is great. That's true. That's true. They gotta fix the entire head area. Yeah. Because uh, that's all messed up. But from the neck down, it's pretty good. I- I'm gonna give the edge to the Warlock Wakes. Um, at least I know, like, they defeated the villain by putting his cape over his head. Like, that's okay, kind of yeah, cool, you got, right? You got that. I, <laughs> I, in the course of this conversation, did forget that the ogre... Uh, was also in this. <laughs> right. uh, uh, but this is not this is not worse than Storm the Arena. No. No. But it is getting into that like offensive part of the list. So this is our new 406. Man, that was an archaically offensive story. <laughs> yeah. You could I mean go go for later appearances of, of Banshee. Almost any later appearance, honestly. I just I'm not going to say I reread Giant Size X-Men last night. I read a reinterpretation of Giant Size X-Men number one last night. Banshee's good in that one. He's great. They figured him out by then. He's great. And uh, kudos to the artists on that one. Um, yeah, guys, if you didn't pick it up, that book is going to... The book is exactly what it says it is. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get as much out of it as you want. Because... Uh, it's it's very interesting to see those artists do a pretty pretty darn faithful reinterpretation there's like one or two pages that they even kind of do anything with the paneling it's it's it it's pretty faithful um i did a little bit of a breakdown for that uh for xavier files so if you want to check that out you can do that but i do recommend reading it side by side with the original because it's uh it's kind of a fascinating experiment. I'd love to see more of those, honestly. I do X Men. Do X Men One. Do the Jim Lee issue with like. Oh, I thought you meant Bad X Men One. Yeah, no, do the Jim Lee issue. Right, like do the this. Jim Lee issue with that like, one would rule. With like forty different artists, that would be so much fun. That would. That would rule, right? Because right? it the reason. I think that would rule more than giant size. Not that I don't love giant size. The Jim Lee one by the fact that there had been so much more comics and there were more time dedicated to comics and that that was a big issue that Jim Lee could focus on. Mm -hmm. There's big splashy things all throughout that comic. Also, they would be legally obligated to redo the X-Men hanging by the pool pinup. And I do want to see that <laughs> drawn by who's who would be good? Nick Robles. Nick Robles. <laughs> three in a row, three. Nick. That's Trace. That's three. All right. So we plugged XavierFiles.com. Oh, yeah, we did do that. Uh, 
There's also sword content there. If you guys want to see stuff about Ten of Swords, uh, go there. There's some excellent, excellent content that's going on on that one. Uh, I'm at Xavier Files on Twitter. And by I'm, I mean the website. Do not ever find my personal one. <laughs> it's locked. If you add, if you say request to be a friend, I'll say no. I have no sympathy for that. I just deleted like 300 people from it. See, this is all a result of people confusing the Xavier Files moniker with an individual as opposed to a collective of writers. So uh, I don't know what in the last four years they could have done to uh, <laughs> get that confused. <laughs> but now that things are different. Anyway, uh, we're, we're in a new and an exciting era. Adam, since you do like to be found, where can people find you? Guys, you can find me and follow me at Arthur Stacy on Twitter. Uh, support the Patreon. What are we talking about next week? Oh yeah, next week uh we're going to be we're going to be talking about some stories uh that like talk about some actual issues and like represent them well. You don't know. Uh, so <laughs> oh no, that I was... don't know how to describe this. Before. Yeah, no, that's a weird pitch. Why don't why don't we mm, it's a good pitch. It's a good pitch. It is good. It was a thinker because and we'll get into this next issue uh for for a franchise that has largely based itself on stories about oppression uh x-men's not been great about intersectionality mm. and representation uh, yeah but these stories are pretty good about it so we'll talk about that um that's what we got thanks will for uh supporting this episode on patreon you're great uh everyone's great uh and we're going to do more later but until then guys this has been bow the atom we hope you survived the experience Get it!